Hello friends, I'm Vance Rains, Senior Pastor of First Church Coral Springs. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this is a source of inspiration and faith as you grow in your walk with Christ. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. We've talked about the the one word prayer, sorry. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for what I just said. I'm sorry for what I just did. I'm sorry for what I didn't do that I know I should have done. Last week, we talked about the one word prayer, please. Meaning, God, would you please do this? It's a prayer of faith. It's a bold ask, believing that just a little mustard seed or just a a little one word of faith can move mountains with God's help, that nothing's impossible And today we're going to add the one word prayer, the question, why? Now, let me just say, um, I'm not suggesting that that your prayers should only be one word. You're welcome to pray as many prayers as you like. Uh, The point of all this is to make prayer a little more accessible to us and to acknowledge that maybe I'm praying a lot more than I thought uh, through the day, that this word uttered here, this word uttered there, this word uttered here, that really those are my prayers as I pray Uh, as Paul says, without ceasing. So that brings us to today. Why? Why? A question directed at God. Uh, When I say why, I mean prayers like Psalm 88, 14. Read it with me. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Sound, Sound like a prayer? Here's another prayer, Lamentations 520. Read this one too. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Why is the prayer we pray often after tragedy, after loss, in pain, in struggle, when something has gone wrong, why is often the prayer we pray? Why did this happen? Why is this okay? Why did this happen now? Why did this happen to me? Ever asked a why prayer? Anybody pray a why prayer this morning? We ask why a lot. You may not know that it's a prayer. We, we, we pray why when people we love die unexpectedly. We, we pray why when a drunk driver kills an innocent person. We, we pray why when a child is diagnosed with cancer. We, we pray why when we suddenly lose our jobs unexpectedly. We, we pray why when the storm of life hits, sometimes literally, sometimes not. We pray, we pray why when difficult things are happening. In the wake of tragedies, like, like airplanes crashing in Africa, like, like cyclones hitting Mozambique, like the, the distress in uh, Haiti, like the, the, the war that went on in South Sudan for so long, like what's going on in Venezuela, like what the shooting that happened in Christchurch, New Zealand a week ago, like the, the, like the tragedy that happened in Parkland. We, we pray why when a young person commits suicide, which I know you've heard in the news, we, we, we ask why. Why did this happen? Why? We're trying to find an answer where there often isn't one. It's the, it's the prayer we pray in the wake of the unexpected, the, the unexplainable, in the, in the horrific, when we're feeling pain or suffering or loss. And I, and I want to say this morning that I think the question why 
is the most natural thing of all. I mean, I just can't tell you how many times I've sat with a person after something major and tragic happens in their life, and the question that just seems to fall out of their mouth is, why? Why did this happen? And here's my theory, and I'm no psychologist, I'm no expert, but here's my theory. That I think the brain and the head are, are trying to work it out. The brain and the heart are trying to work it out. And the heart is in such pain and anguish that it, that it believes that if I could just get an answer, that it'll make it okay. Somebody just tell me why this had to happen. Why my loved one had to be taken so soon. Why my spouse walked out of me. Why I got this this illness that makes me struggle so much why 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 sometimes i'll ask somebody when they're asking the questions like listen the question's fine the question's right the question's good can you imagine any answer that's going to take away your pain and the answer is of course always no right i mean sometimes we know the answer why did this person die because that person got drunk and drove their car right and yet the why is still there. Why did my marriage fall apart? Well, it's, he's been cheating for years, that's why. And yet the why is still there. Like it, we often can point at the reason, and yet our heart, it, it didn't satisfy, right? So that's why I'm calling why less about a question and more prayer, because I think why is this deep seeking from the wisdom of the universe Help me be okay with this. Help me find peace. Help me in my strain and struggle and despair. It's really less about answering questions and really more about what the Bible calls lament. Lament or, or lamentation. Have you heard of that before? Lament. We don't talk about it a lot. Lament or lamentation or when we cry out why as a prayer is when we direct our why to God. And oftentimes it comes in the form of blame. It's not just why did this happen, but God, why did you let this happen? Right? Why did you do this to me? Why did you do this to someone I love. Why are you so far away? Why are you punishing me? Why, do you, why are you so angry with me? Why are you being so cruel with me? And so if we said that, that sorry as a prayer is really a prayer of confession and that please as a prayer of like that bold faith, really what I'm saying today is, is why is lament? It's the kind of prayer that we, we ball up our fists and we shake them at heaven and tears are running down our face, not in, not in sadness or grief alone, but in, in just anger and frustration. Why? It, it's, it's when there's a strain in our voice and an edge to it and maybe an obscenity or two, right? Because lamentation really is a form of complaint. It's complaining to God. It's, it's, it's demanding something better from God. Really, it originates in a feeling of injustice. That life is not fair to me. That means, God, you're not being fair to me. I deserve better than this. I have, I have tried to be faithful to you. I don't deserve this. This is not okay. And so it's a blaming God. You're not treating me the way I deserve. Why are you doing this 
to me? Why am I getting this raw deal? Why am I at the short end of the stick, right? Why did I draw this short straw? It's not fair. Have anybody ever prayed this kind of prayer before? A lot of us do, and we don't, we don't even realize it because it's not, the, it's not the tame prayer, it's not the civilized prayer, it's not the rehearsed prayer. It's the prayer that just kind of gushes out in moments of pain and anger. The theologian Sung Chan Ra says, Lament recognizes the struggles of life and cries out for justice against existing injustices. The status quo is not to be celebrated, but instead must be challenged. So some of you are thinking like, ah, this is uncomfortable. Like, I was taught that prayer is supposed to be something about, you know, faith. You know, it's going to God in faith. It's, it's about going to God saying, God, you know, I trust you. And, and, and I know you're good and your will be done, right? I, I don't know if it's okay to complain about to God or to, to be angry at God. Doesn't God have lightning bolts in his pocket? Might he smite me, you know, if I, is that Okay. Well, if it's not okay, nobody told the, the, the characters in the Bible because they did it a lot. Here's a few examples. Remember last summer we talked about Exodus? So God has rescued the Israelites out of Egypt and he's walking them to a, a promised land, a land flowing of milk and honey. And it's taking a little while, 40 years, right? But, but blessing leading to blessing, God's taking good care of them and yet they call out to God, why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? Sometimes we're a little short-sighted. God raises up a judge in the book of Judges named Gideon to, to lead the armies of Israel against the Midianites, and they're losing. And so Gideon asks, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? We're losing. Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? And now the Lord has abandoned us. You ever thought that? Like, I hear God is so good, but what has he done for me lately? Job, right? A righteous man who loses everything, who says, though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there's no justice. There's that word. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. Some of you are just with me uh, studying the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a, it's a book of wisdom, trying to find meaning in life. And in verse 2 of the very first chapter, he writes, Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's lament. The prophet Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He says to God, you deceived me. Lord, I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. Prophet Habakkuk, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? You hear a theme here? Different contexts, different situations, different people, same prayer. God, why? Why don't you listen? Why don't you act? Why did you let this happen? Even Revelation, the, the saints of God who were martyred on the earth but now are safely in the arms of God, even they lament, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. You see that? Exodus to Revelation, 
lament after lament after lament. There's a whole book called Lamentations in the Bible. Why is it there? Because we need to learn how to do it. Two-thirds of the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament. Two-thirds, the majority. Most of the book of Jeremiah is lamentation. It happens throughout the Bible. It's there. You hear me refer to a man named Desmond Tutu often. He's one of the, an archbishop of the Anglican Church in South Africa who endured apartheid, endured personal violence and witnessed terrible violence in this country. And he articulates the questions that we're talking about in this way, theologically. Now, he, he knows the answers, but he says, this is the kind of question that, that the, the biblical characters are really asking. He says, is God omnipresent? That means everywhere. Well, if God is everywhere, why is there no evidence of God's presence when we're suffering now and here? Is God omnipotent, which means all-powerful? If God is all-powerful, why do we suffer? Is God really good? How can a good God allow evil a place in creation? How can an omnipotent God be so impotent in the face of injustice? What does omnipresence matter if God sees but does not relieve our pain? He knows that God is all-powerful and God all-knowing and all-good, and yet when we're in the midst of painful tragedy, we question. That's what he's saying. We question. Philip Yancey, who's written a lot about suffering in God, says, from the Bible, did you catch that line? This is biblical teaching. From the Bible, I learned that we are right to protest against violence and injustice, even when it's our own sense of injustice, and right even to call God to account for allowing such a world to exist. So I mentioned two-thirds of the psalms are psalms of lament. So I want us to look at one good example, I think. Uh, it's called from Psalm, uh, Psalm 88 is where I want us to look today. Good example of what I'm talking about, these two-thirds of the psalms. He says this, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day, and I come to you by night. Night and day I'm praying. Remember last week we said, Jesus said, you know, it's like going to your neighbor's house and knocking on the door. All day long the psalmist is knocking on God's door. I cry to you by day. I come to you by night. Now hear my cry. Listen, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. Then he explains what's going on. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. Now, let me just test something. Would you say it's true that when we're going through a difficult time, uh, that it may just be in one area of our life, but it has a tendency to, to shadow everything in our life? Have you ever noticed that when you're unhappy, when, you're, when you feel like there's injustice, when, 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 when you feel like you've been wronged, it feels like everything is wrong? There may be a bit of that here, a little bit of exaggeration. But also notice who he blames, right? Well, go, go back to that slide, would you, the last one? Go back, there it is. He says, they have left me among the dead. Who's they? I don't know. Maybe it's his enemies. Maybe it's his, his, uh, 
uh, fellow uh, colleagues. Maybe it's his family. Maybe it's his pastor. I don't know. You know, they. Who's they? We always blame they and them, right? Who are they? We don't know. Somebody has treated him really badly. But then notice how the blame shifts from they to God. Read this with me. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. I don't know how that happens, but it happens all the time. When we're going through a bad time, even we can say, that person is responsible, we blame God. I don't know why we do it. It seems to be a universal thing, and it sure is here. But then notice how it, where it leads them. He says, my eyes are blinded by my tear. Like, even, even though he's angry at God, he still turns to God. He says, each day I beg for your help, O Lord. He keeps going back to God, even though he feels like God is the source of his pain. I beg you for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? He's pleading. He's bargaining. Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? In other words, for God's sake, do something. Like, this isn't good for me or anybody else. Do something, God. Get Get busy, right? What's taking you so long? Does this relate to anybody relating to this at all? Hmm. Here come the wise. Oh Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. Oh Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate for your ter- terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. You see, like this this push and pull. God, I need you, and I'm so angry at you. And why won't you help me? And you're to blame. It's this pushing back and forth with God. Now, that brings us to the end. And you would expect, I think, like, okay, I've lit it all off. Okay. But Lord, your will be done. <laughs> Thy will be done, O oh Lord. I, I, know, I know you're going to make it okay, right? And, you know, sorrow lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I know, God, you're going to make it okay. And there's some psalms that go that way. There are. But notice how this psalm ends. After all of that, darkness is my closest friend. After all of that, that's all he's got to say to God. Darkness is my closest friend. Not you, God. Darkness is my closest friend. And here's the point I want to drive home really strong. This is the Bible, y'all. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Isn't that interesting that the Bible allows space for hurt? The Bible allows space for complaint? The Bible allows space for when we don't know what to say to God other than the depth of our pain? 
it allows it. It teaches us it's okay. God can take it. God is big enough to receive even our anger, even our hurt. So here's what I want you to notice. Darkness is my closest friend. You ever feel that way? Have you ever been there? If you've ever lost someone you're close to, grief is a darkness that feels closer than anything else. If you've ever been through depression, darkness can feel like your closest friend. If you ever struggle with any kind of form of, of mental illness, darkness can feel like your, like your closest friend. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to notice. Lament doesn't turn it's back on God, right? There's some times in life where people who are people of faith, they go through tragedy, they experience loss, they experience hardship, and they're like, that's it. God, I'm done with you. If you're real, I want nothing to do with you, and I'm not even sure I believe in you, and they walk away. They turn their back on God. Listen, God never turns God's back away on us. We do that to God sometimes. There are people who, you know them, right? They don't go to church anymore. Like, after that happened, I was done. I was done. Lament, I think the reason the Bible gives it to us is it keeps us staring God face to face. I might be angry. I might be fighting mad. I might think God is the worst thing in the universe. I might think God is evil. I might think God is weak and unreliable. But the Bible allows the option, until I can work through this, I stare God right in the face and say, I don't like you. But I'm not walking away from you. Right? I mean, that's, when, when you really love someone and when you're really safe and secure in that relationship, you can get ugly, Right? And you know they're not going to walk out the door. That's what God is. It's when we're in fragile relationships like, ah, I can't, no, I'm done. Right? Lament allows us to stay fully engaged with a God that we may not like and yet need. Philip Yancey again says, we keep groping toward light even while living in darkness. That's what lament is. That's, that's a why prayer. So I think it was 2010. In fact, I think it was February of 2010. Um, I was working at FSU. I was the campus minister there. Um, and uh, a, a tragedy struck us. Um, we had a student in the ministry uh, named Amanda uh, who uh, was very well known, very well loved. I uh, was very close to her, partially was close to her because she's the daughter of uh, one of my best friends who's a pastor in Florida named Mike. Um, and so this family already was dear to me. She was dear to me. He is. Uh, they, they as a family loved our ministry. They came anytime they could, which was difficult for a pastor to get away on the weekends. But they would, they would come up. They just loved being in worship. They loved the students, and the students knew the whole family. They, they were just, they were very special to us. And I remember one particular weekend, uh, Amanda's mother, my friend's wife, Terry was in worship, and she loved to come to worship uh, with us. And so she was in worship, and uh, she was on her way to some scrapbooking convention, I think. And uh, so we were with her on Sunday. She went off to her, her snap, her, thank you, scrapbooking conference. Uh, I don't even know what that is. Um, she went home, played in a tennis tournament on Wednesday, won it, 
Thursday morning uh, was sick, like a flu. But by the end of the day, the flu had gotten so bad, they took her to the hospital. I mean, it just that happened that quickly. By Friday morning, she was in ICU, critical condition. Amanda ran home. Uh, we start praying for her. Her name's Terry. Um, start praying, praying, praying. Um, I, I can tell you, I, I've never prayed for anyone as hard as I prayed for, for Terry. I don't know why. There was something, I because she was Amanda's mom, because she's Mike's wife. I prayed harder for her. God, she just seemed, I know this is irrational, but she just seemed like one of those people that God should save, right? I mean, just, just good. Family needed her. Church needed her. Loved by so many. Prayed, prayed, prayed. Saturday night, uh, we, we talked to Amanda. Amanda says the doctors say she's improving, still in ICU. She's improving. So I go to bed thinking, she's going to be all right. God's going to pull her through. Driving to campus Sunday morning. We had worship on Sunday morning. So I'm driving to campus, and I get the call. Terry died. I, I don't know why, but Terry's death affected me more than any other death I've ever experienced. At, right there in my car, I, I wailed. You hear about weep, weeping and wailing? I had never moaned in my crying before, and I did that day. And I said some things to God that <laughs> pastors aren't supposed to say. Um, and I meant them. I was hurt by God. I felt led down by God. I questioned God's goodness. I said some pretty terrible things. Uh, got to campus, had to tell the students what had happened. They were devastated. We had to have worship that day. We completely threw out what we were going to do because it was not what we needed. And so we redid the worship service, a lot of tears. After, after worship, a bunch of us got in our cars. We drove to Central Florida to be with the family. That was gut-wrenching. Um, got home that night just emotionally completely worn out, depleted, angry at God. Uh, and then Monday... <laughs> um, Every year, I had students apply for leadership positions. Uh, there was an eagerness to serve, which is a wonderful thing. Um, and we had a number of positions. We always found a place for everybody. But we had a few positions that people really wanted. And they would apply for them, and they would interview for them. And we always had more students who wanted the positions, and we had positions to give. And so what that often meant was that I had to be the one to say, thank you for applying, but you didn't get the position. And for some of these young college students, it was the first rejection they'd ever experienced. And I got to do it. Their pastor got to say, sorry, you're not, you're not chosen for this. It was awful. They'd cry. It was terrible. And so I'm driving to campus that morning, and I'm thinking, oh, i got to say no. And I'm thinking of students i got to say no to that I love, and I know they're going to be so upset with me. And I start praying. And I remember so vividly, I said to God, I don't like you. And I said some things to you yesterday that I know you, could, you can hold against me. And we're not in a very good space right now, but I really need your help. <laughs> this is going to be a rough day. And so if we could for a day, could you not hold yesterday against me and me not hold yesterday against you? And can you help me today? And then we'll start figuring this out tomorrow. I remember distinctly. distinctly. And see, I think that's what lament is. It's like, I'm so angry at you, and I need you, right? It's just, you're still there. Like it's, it's like we're going to keep wrestling through this no matter how angry we get at each other. 
Another theologian, Miroslav Volf, says, you can protest against the evil in the world only if you believe in a good God. And that's the thing we cling to. Is God good? Probably the most famous why prayer ever prayed came from the cross. Is it okay to lament? Is it okay to ask God why? Is it okay to protest? Jesus did it. As he's dying on the cross, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We think that he was quoting Psalm 22, uh, which begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Even Jesus in his suffering, even Jesus in his pain as his life was, was, was flowing out of him, questioned God. Really, God, in this moment, are you not here? Really, God, are you going to make me suffer a second longer? My God, my God, have you abandoned me here? That's what he was feeling. And here's the truth. God never abandoned Jesus. God never turned his back on Jesus. That God was intimately present with Jesus through, through the, the moment he was put on the cross till the moment he died. Can you imagine the heartbreak of God experiencing the, the, the painful death of his son? And yet, here's the thing. Oftentimes God whispers words of grace into our ears, but pain screams. Sometimes it isn't that God's being silent. It's just that God's a lot more subtle than pain is. Pain is not subtle, is it? It screams in our ears, and we scream back, and we can't hear God. I'm right here. Even Jesus questioned, why have you forsaken me? And so Rob Bell says this, our tendency in the midst of suffering is to turn on God. To get angry and bitter and shake our fist at the sky and say, God, you don't know what it's like. You don't understand. You have no idea what I'm going through. You don't have a clue how much this hurts. Then he writes, the cross is God's way of taking all of our accusations, all of our excuses, all of our arguments, I would say all of our laments. The cross is God taking on flesh and blood and saying, me too. Me too. So God, I don't know what, I don't know what laments... You have heard from us in this room today. I don't know the ones that we've cried out or the ones we've kept silent, but I, I know there's heartache in this room. I know there's sadness. I know there's doubt. I know there's despair. So we bring all of that, Lord, our failures, our struggles, our hurts. We bring all of it, our grief. And we ask why. We wait on you now to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about First Church and our ministries, visit us online at welovefirst.church.